G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone. This is the Sunday edition of the Footyology Podcast, a new Sunday edition to mark the opening of the 2019 season. Round one, done and dusted, as I say. Very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. What'd you make of it all, Finey? Well, what a round bad start for the grand finals of last year. The um, precocious up-and-comers Melbourne were no good. The resurrection of Adelaide has to wait a week or maybe a lot longer. And the Bombers, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but not as much the result. Something The way that game was played by Essendon was the most curious of things. I, I can't wait to discuss it with you, Rowan. It was very odd. <laughs> I can wait to discuss it for obvious reasons. A couple of interesting stats on the first round. First time both grand finalists of the previous season have lost their first game since 2012 when Geelong lost to Fremantle and Collingwood lost to Hawthorne. And West Coast defeat up at the Gabba, the heaviest defeat uh, in round one by a reigning Premier since 1981 when Richmond were taken to the cleaners by Carlton. How's that? That's a, It's good. And, and I, I don't think that a Premier has ever been beaten by a team that low. Maybe they have. I don't know because, of course, now we've got 18 teams. But it harks back to a famous day when South Melbourne was served up at Victoria Park in 1959 after the famous 58 flag. And it really, they were served up. And famously, the president of the Collingwood, uh, the wife of the Collingwood president raised the flag that day, as was traditional. And she described South Melbourne. Thank you, Collingwood, the premiers, and South Melbourne, today's losers. And she said that before the game. And, and South Melbourne caused one of the greatest upsets of all time. I know that story. That's yeah. a ripper. <laughs> she referred to them as the losers. All right, a lot to get through. So without any further ado, let's get straight into it. On Footyology, wrap around. Rightio, nine big games. We're going to go through them chronologically. All started back on Thursday night with the now traditional season opener between the Tigers and the Blues. In the end, a comfortable 33-point win to the Tigers, 14-13-97, defeating Carlton, 9-10-64. The Tigers weren't fantastic, but they did what they had to. Um, I guess really the the biggest and by far most important story out of it was the season-ending knee injury to Alex Rance finding. Yeah, it was. He was having a bit of a mare to start off with, dropping chest marks and had just got into his work. It, it seemed like a, not innocuous, but it seemed like an awkward landing. And it's funny how people always immediately think, is this the worst and then you just hope, even as a, a, an impartial, a guy like Alex Rance, you need in football. We don't have enough special footballers going around. And he is one of those special defenders, special players. 
and you're sitting there hoping and hoping, and it just gets worse and worse with the vision. But what? But yeah, but what happens is he came and sat on the bench again, and he seemed quite happy, and, and everyone tried to read a positive result into that. It's got to the stage with me now, if I see that they're all smiles and whatever, I go, oh, he's gone, because yeah. how many well, times have you seen that? I mean, also, the ACL is extremely painful when it happens. He felt. He said he felt like the pack had landed on him, and then he realised there was no pack. Mm. But very quickly after that, there's no pain. Mm. And players have actually come on and completed games. Lenny Hayes played out a full. That's half. right. I did that game. He walked against, off the ground. North, North Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. So the, uh, I think you're a lot less um, less uh, uh, joyous and, and ebullient when you're actually in pain. But the next day when he found out about it, his attitude was great. Yeah, it was. It was. There well, are much worse things, aren't there? Let's cut to the chase. Can they win a flag without him? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I reckon they can well, too. And I'll explain why during the rant tonight. But who, there's no one to take advantage of the lack of a good defender nowadays. No, no, it's a very good point. I mean, personnel-wise, I, I wonder what they'll do. Uh, I know Damien Harwick was talking about Garthwaite. Uh, Garthwaite coming into the equation. Have got anyone else that could play there, you reckon? No, but they can... Look, um... They can move things around a little bit. Dylan Grimes is a wonderful defender, mm. and he he plays a, a covering role, so he'll have to sort of be promoted. Uh, Noah Belter actually played key defence, I think, before uh, being picked up in senior football. Seems versatile. And as I said, there's not a lot of teams that will necessarily exploit it. Then again, we got to the point here in last season in West Coast with a big forward line, uh, showed in September that can win premiership. So they're going to have to rejig that team slightly. Uh, reasonably quiet debut for him by Tom Lynch, but he ended up with three goals. I mean, if they can, if they can have a quiet game that uh, returns three goals, I think they'll be pretty happy. Bolter, you mentioned, he could be a, an important addition to that lineup. Yep. Uh, Weller, you know, did what he was asked. Um, and Jack Higgins just gets better and better. So... They're definitely going to be right up there for me. We should talk about Carlton. Just, just on Tom Lynch very yep. quickly. Um, I know this is silly, but I just find so that wispy, thinning hair, it doesn't inspire. You know, he's, he's, I think he's just going to have to crop it. I remember Gary Ablett had a year of wispy hair. A year? He had a career of wispy. Oh, he went bald. He, he <laughs> took the shaver out pretty quickly. And, yeah. and Prince William, I felt, was at his worst when combing over. I, have, just, I just thought he looked mm, like a bit of an old geezer out there. What was uh, what was the highest goal tally Prince William ever kicked? Uh, I don't know what it was, but it, it's still within striking distance of the lead in the Coleman this year because there's no big goal and there's no big bags anymore in football. Well, he kicked a goal with Kate, didn't he? And, he, and a couple of behinds. Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> um, what about the Blues? <laughs> I've seen this game four times in a row this season opener. So I'm not going to rush to say the Carlton are a better team because every year they seem to lose by 20 to 30 points mm. but show something at yeah. some point during the game. Yeah, well, last year they got five goals up, didn't they? Was... This team feels better, Yeah, but the forward line is still problematic. Mm. Mitch McGovern has McGovern's disease. Do you know what McGovern's disease are? No. They're good footballers. Jeremy the better, but boy, do they know how to, to um, play, play out an injury. They've got superhero. You see, Jeremy McGovern does what some players do. He looks sometimes dead to the world, goes up the race, and then comes back to the adulation of the crowd to play out the game. Yeah. And he's, I thought Mitch had been season-ended 
during the last quarter when he got clattered into. Um, so he's not super resilient. I think the forward line's their problem. Um, and I, I, I like Carlton, I like Sam Walsh, but they have got to get near 100 points. They, they struggle to get 10 goals. Yeah, they're more solid, though. I, I tell you, I, we all like Sam Walsh. The two guys that impressed me probably the most were Setterfield. I thought it was a reasonable debut from yeah. him. And I love Zach Fisher. I think is he, he yeah, he, yeah. And no, I think he's a real long-termer for him. Is he a will of the wisp elusive type? He has wispishness yes. uh, qualities. Yep. And uh, elusive. Uh, Willie, uh, Willie, no, that's not going to work. Um, all right, let's move on to our next game. Okay, Friday night, back at the G, the Pies and the Cats. A lot of build-up to this game. I think we all expected uh, a potential classic. It was far from that, let's be honest. For I thought for three quarters it was a really ordinary game, actually. Lots of fumbling and lots of slipping. Oh, last quarter was pretty exciting, I reckon. Don't you reckon this game... Uh, I, was watching this, I was watching it and I was thinking it's, a, it's an important game. They're both serious teams and the 6-6-6... Not having to, you know, kicking out, forget the goal square. All the things that were brought into football didn't mean a job. Well, I reckon... The game again turned into football as we know it. Yeah. Well, I reckon you could say that about most of the games this weekend. The impact of those rule changes was pretty minimal, really. Credit where it's due to the Cats. I thought after um, Callum Brown kicked that snap... Uh, in the last quarter, it was only six minutes left, and Pies were only a goal up, but was, where, where, where it felt you, like they had the run of play. Were you at the game? No, no, oh, I was okay. located in front of my I TV. I'm sure it was a goal. Uh, no, pretty, just I thought it bent pretty late. Just got in, I reckon. Just got in. Yep. Uh, and that was after Blitzars had kicked out in the fall, and it was sort of like a double deflating effect, I think. But I, I felt at that stage, oh, that's the end of the Cats. But right from the next centre bounce, actually, there was one time the rules did have an impact. A clean centre break, Brandon Parfitt over the back and levels the scores. And then Tom Hawkins kicks his 500th goal, basically, to win the game for him. This was a, a game effort by Geelong. A lot of new players, Charlie, uh, Charlie the Constable. Yeah. Gry and Myers. Yep. You'd get a million dollars. Sure, it's not mine, Gry's. You'd get a million dollars if I told you there's a guy called Gry and Myers and you spelled his name correctly before ever seeing it written down. Hey, speaking of names, very quickly, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself yep. here. But what about Freo? They've now got a Hogan and a Schultz. It's fantastic. My lifelong it? quest. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying. I, they I, must recruit, recruit a clink. Now. They won't that, get they've, yeah. they've got to find a clink. <laughs> anyway, get on with it. Sorry. <laughs> How happy are you? <laughs> I'm wrapped. So... The um, the cats were with a lot of new, you know, that back line of uh, it's a pretty. I, I know that um, Harry Taylor was down there. Look, they did well Geelong to win. With, given that Mark Blitzavs was playing, it was a great win because he was he was culpable. Their yeah, first yeah, three goals, was... he cost them four goals. Their first three goals were three different ways that Blitzavs could muck up. Did you see Collingwood's first goal? It was uh, one of the smaller players. He just bumped Blitzavs. It was embarrassing. And mm. we got in on the goal. Oh, Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. It was embarrassing. Yeah. Then he gave away a free kick. Then he tapped it to a Collingwood, uh, Collingwood player. But uh, you've got, who else is in back line? O'Connor? Mark O'Connor? Uh, the Irish guy. Yeah, I'm saying that he's there. I was there. about to say Ryan O'Connor. He's there. Uh, there's some 
unknown types, it was a game win by the Cats. Well, the, very they, good. They scrap very well, I reckon. Uh, you know, their experience in the big games is obviously really handy. I'm, I'm sure, without having seen the figures, I'm sure they win a lot more close ones than they lose. But as you pointed out, not at the G last year. No, they were two and eight. Um, I did. I did feel also with this game that Collingwood can play a lot better than that, and Geelong can play better, but not as. Better, better, as Collingwood did. Jeez, I'm struggling with my words tonight. But you line, know what I mean. Collingwood's forward line, again, you know, I mean, Cox and Myacek will work sometimes, mm. but will not always work. Who was best on ground? I've got no doubt who best on ground was, and I looked in a lot of papers and that. I just think people are lazy. Uh, I, think, I think Juno's are lazy. I think there was such a good player in this game. No, will you tell me? Uh, Reese Stanley was... Oh, yeah, yeah. Magnificent. Yeah. Grundy's a great player. He beat him. Mm. But he did more than beat him. He got back when it was important. He got, you know, he he, he was very crucial in the last five minutes. I thought he played a great game with Stanley. Well, good result for the Cats there. And uh, back at the G on Saturday. Third MCG game and the third game of the round uh, does pretty well under heavy duty work, doesn't it? The MCG better than Marvel. Oh boy! Oh no, no, don't don't pre, Dad, don't preempt me. Um, (laughs) We pre, we've got to change the structure of the show because everything we want to say comes up. We we fire all our bullets early, (laughs) Um, and a fantastic win to Port. Adelaide, 12 goals, 15, 87, 26 point victors over the Demons, 9 7, 61. Um, this was as impressive as any team over the weekend, I thought, because Melbourne got the jump on them, and I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be fairly um, as, as you were. But Port, um, you can tell how much they've worked on their game over summer. They've really got that running, exciting running attacking game going again and that was probably the area they fell away most last year and the kids the kids are all right zach butters who we'll get to later and of course imagine if they had a player called cartman yes or, or mrs chugs you've just dick. you've just preempted another gag um <laughs> xavier dersma you've got to write down your material so, well i'll tell you don't say this don't say that don't say that xavier dersma really impressive as well um uh, Connor Rosie, impressive as well. And then the fourth debutante, who, of course, I've temporarily forgotten his name, but he's been on the list two years already and hasn't played. That's right. Um, uh, Don't worry about the, it. He's the bigger of the four of them. Um, but And plus two guys coming into the side who'd played elsewhere previously. So it's a lot of new blood to bring into the team. And they teamed brilliantly. And um, what about Justin Westhoff? Gee, he's an underrated player, I reckon. Into his 30s now, you know, five goals, and uh, as you're going to allude to, it's uh, bags of five goals are fairly thin on the ground these days. Not making any jokes by saying that he does well with with or without Scooby-Doo by his side? Oh, you reckon he looks like Shaggy? You don't reckon? I reckon my brother-in-law looks like Shaggy. G'day, Rick, if you're listening. Look, Justin Westhoff is loved by all his coaches because he rucks, he can go forward, he's used as a stopgap defender when things are are at their most dire for Port Adelaide. He can either be everywhere or nowhere, don't you find? Some games he tends to be a bit of, you know, um, 
a bit invisible. Oh, I, re- I reckon he's got Claude oh, Rains. I reckon he's got over that. I, I reckon yeah, he's... Yeah, okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Fair comment. Fair yeah. comment. That and might it, be yesterday's news. And it's at the end of his career, but um, he couldn't have done anything better in that game. I think 19, 18 or 19 disposals, nine marks and five goals. So, I mean, it was the difference between the two sides in another game where everyone seemed to find goal-kicking really hard work. He was the difference. Drew? William Drew. Oh, Willem. It's Willem, isn't it? We Willem. Yeah. No, yeah. Willem, Willem Drew. Who? Yeah. Willem Drew. I know. Well, I remember when I saw the name. It's in, Ryan the, Burton was good too, the ex-Hawk. Uh, yeah. So he was one of the two new, newbies who came into their side from other clubs. What went wrong for Melbourne? Um, I think Port... I, I don't think Melbourne has many weaknesses, but perhaps Port exposed one. Bit of leg speed. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's we you know look that at their strong. midfield. Well, we know they're strong inside. Yeah, Bobby Oliver. These players would like some more run, and I think uh, they rely a bit on Neil Bullen and mm. just a few of the uh, uh, nominal speedsters. What do you make of Petrarca? Uh, yeah, I thought he was pretty disappointing. I thought his I thought his efforts were okay, but spaced because of aerobic challenges. He looks a bit big, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. He probably. He'd be, he Probably needs to taper off a bit. He se- he seemed to be huffing and puffing when by doing a lot less than others. And of course, there was that very interesting post match interview with Jack Walsh. Yeah, yeah, wasn't that? Uh, and actually, well done to Cameron Mooney. Handled it really well, really I thought well. too. But um, yeah, I, I I saw that and I thought a lot more of what's afterwards. Not that I thought poorly of him, but uh, yeah, he really put himself out there. It was a good reminder, really, about how how much public. Opinion can weigh on I think, someone. I think he's a tosser. Okay. I do. Look, I, look. I know things about him. I guess I've got a personal in there. What didn't you think uh, better of him for? Oh, but he's been through. What you know, made it feel like it's been just a tough few months for him. And well, it has. Punt. It yeah. has. All right. Well, you know, you know, you go and play around on your girlfriend, and you do the wrong thing, and you you gallivant in, around in Europe, and and if that's tough, then that's tough. I'm glad he was able to get over it and have a good game. Okay. Um, what do you make of the Demons quickly? Yeah, they are, using a 1951 term, gay deceivers. They, they have, they've got a lot, of, a lot of black marks against them that came out again. You know, this is a game that they should have won. This is a game that they were not playing brilliantly in but were sort of level at half time. And, you know, then it became really a matter of Port Adelaide backed their endurance and their run and their fitness mm-hmm. and Melbourne... I think gave up the ghost a bit. They, I think they felt, they realised at some point in time, these youngsters are running rings around us. Yeah. It's 30 degrees and we're not going to catch them. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's been the knock of, on them over the years, that sort of lack of resilience. So good uh, wake-up call and it certainly came early. Okay, next game. Well, over in Adelaide, uh, over in Adelaide, the... Crows taking on the Hawks, and to quote as I do often, Peter McKenna, Finey, you just can't write Hawthorne off because I fell for Adelaide, and uh, the Hawks took him to the cleaners. Didn't really register on the scoreboard until late, um, so a good 32 point win in the end, 12 15, 
87 defeated the Crows 7-13-55. But they were on top for the word from the word go, really, even if they were only a goal or so up at half-time. Um, James Warpool, fantastic, really stepped up to the plate in the absence of Tom Mitchell. Um, Sicily was best on ground, I thought. Yeah, I, I liked... Uh, I like Cousins as well. I thought his game was pretty yep. impressive. Jager O'Meara um, also stepped up to the plate too. And I was thinking watching O'Meara those couple of years out, really, um, had he not had, had those years out, we would be talking about you know him in the same way we talk about, I reckon, Martin Fife, etc. Because yep. he was that's the curve he was on. I agree. And I reckon he can get back to that level. He's really recaptured that silkiness, I think. And... Um, the other great thing about the Hawks, their senior players always contribute something. Can they do it for 25, 26 weeks? That's the doubt that I have. But when they're all firing, they can beat any side in the competition. I believe at the end of this round or when we do our Monday reviews and all the newspapers, radio stations and programs have their say, the big story is going to be Essendon. But I don't think Essendon is the big story. I think the big story is Adelaide. I think. Well, they weren't worse than Essendon. Yeah, they were at home. They were playing a team, Hawthorne, that have had a difficult pre-season. Their two recruits were not playing, Wingard and Scully, and they lost Mitchell. And Adelaide had virtually promised, look, we don't live in Adelaide, but they had promised the town and the state that last year was an aberration. Mm. And I think everybody believes it or believed it. And, I did. And feels that Adelaide will be able to win most home games and reassert themselves in the eight because of their strong midfield and they've got variety up forward and they were terrible. Taylor Walker was exactly what people don't like about him. He was, you know, going wider and wider. He he must have ended up in the standing at the bus stop outside the ground looking for a kick by the end of the game, not looking to go central and have an impact, but looking to skirt the edges. This is a very bad start for the Adelaide Crows. The only mitigating um, circumstances or excuses they could give would be that they lost a couple of players during the game. Duday, unfortunately, is out for the season. He's important, and so is Douglas. But they were they were terribly disappointing, and the promises made all summer seem to be well. At the moment, they're a long way off. Is it Duday or Doday? Well, you've got a year to work it out. Well. He's a he's he's a big loss because he yeah, was the he, he was the guy that replaced Lieber. He's and now, a huge loss. Now he's they've their, got a, he's a big intercept mark in the back. Yeah, well now they've got to replace the replacement yeah, interceptor. It'll, it'll fall to the likes of Keith. And mm. Have they still got the um, that very versatile redhead Kyle Cheney? No, no, he was delisted at the end of last season, Kyle. Right. You know what they'll do? They can redraft him in June or where, May. No. May. Port Adelaide should pick him up because then Kyle can be on the same side as Butters. Oh, my God. And they've got a Kenny as coach. Okay. I ask again, have they got a missed chokes on, Dick? Uh, yeah, okay, and, and we laughed appropriately. Uh, next game. All right, finally. Now, I was at this game in my 3AW capacity. I heard a bit of you. Oh, I had to come well, up. I tuned in. Yeah, how was it? Yeah, I, I, I've got to hand it to you. You were the first person in the media to... Uh, make a comment about the worst tattoos I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. How bad are they? And we speak of Tom Liberatore. Is he pleased with them? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't go. What prison was he in? It's like he was in, It's like, you know, they, you know, prison tats are bad tats because yeah. they're done under duress. Yeah. It's like he went to a prison for seven-year-olds. Yeah. 
This is what's going to happen every week. We're going to spend half our allotted time on each game just making jokes. But I, oh, seriously, they were a joke. No, well, it, the contrast was worse too because on Friday night I was looking at Jordan Degoe and he's got some goddess or something on his bicep. And I, I thought, I'm not big on tats, but I looked at it and I thought... But you are big on looking at men's arms. No, well, I thought that is really detailed work. I, yeah. I really like it. And then Tom Liberatore runs near me and I thought, what the hell? It looks like he's in grade six and some mate stuck a protractor in his arm and dragged it around a few times. There, I mean, there was a cartoon... Like there's, a cart- there's a cartoon character and then there's some words... I don't know Yeah, oh, he's got someone from The Simpsons, I think. Someone looked it up. Anyway, the game. What about yeah. the game? Oh, I tipped this. You see, you the did. problem with the Swans was, except I got it back to front, I thought the buddies key to their everything that they do at the moment, and I was sort of right, and that he was underdone, so he wouldn't be able to play the game out. Well, I got it back to front. He couldn't start the game. Yes. <laughs> By the end of the game, he was good. Gee, he was getting frustrated, and down the boundary too. He got, he got dragged about, I reckon, four times in the first half alone, and he was getting really, really pissed off about it. You could see it. Yeah, look, Kennedy's a notoriously slow starter in a season. I just didn't think he had an impact. Mm. I was about to have a go at Parker, but he played really well in the last quarter. So the Bulldogs, they were pretty daring for most of the game. Yeah, Aaron Norton's a beauty, isn't he? That, he, that, yeah. that was one of the be- that Now, that was a clash that we want. Alir Alir is a super defender, very yeah. strong yeah. and very attacking. Mm. And Norton, he'd, he'd back himself He'd back himself in the in the Everest to beat Red Zell. I mean, well, he believes in himself. I thought Norton uh, and Scotty Lucas and Scotty Cummings, two well-known forwards, Scots. agreed on this and two well-known okay. Scots. He, Norton looked like a natural forward. He's just his timing uh, in, in terms of both running to position and then yeah. the leap. He had his timing yeah. spot on, yep. um, which a lot of players that make that transition don't do. So did you hear what he said after the game? Yeah, I interviewed him. Oh, I heard the other interview. The oh, time. okay. But well, did, what did he say in the other interview? That he'd never played forward before. Oh, no. And he'd never, all pre-season he'd been preparing as a backman. Yeah. And he just got told the morning of the JLT game against St Kilda, you're going forward. Yeah. And maybe it's better not to think about these things because his instincts were great. Well, he's a very, he's got a, um, nice an, kick too. an old head on young shoulders. I mean, yeah. he came fourth in their best and fairest like last him. year. Yeah, and I like him a lot. So I thought that, Bailey Smith did some good things, you know. He did. In, in tight. Uh, speaking of, um, no, we're not speaking. How bad, how bad's that mullet? I he, think it's funny. He's an East Malvern boy too, Bailey Smith. Could be the, fa- that's the, why. I, I the first out. mullet in East Malvern. So it's humorous. Yeah. In Adelaide, it's fashion, but if you live in Malvern, it must be a piss take. Well, I don't know. I'm beginning to think East Malvern's changing. We've got a couple of tattoo parlours there now. The place is going to the dogs, finally. I've lived there tattoo all my life. Tattoo parlour is hipster and, and normal. Have there's not, mu- a, there's not much hipster in East Malvern. No, you don't have a $35 hairdresser for men with, you know, with a pool table. Uh, no, no, we don't. We don't. You don't need it. A beard maintenance shop. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Beards trimmed, $25. Anyway, <laughs> you come on, we're losing focus here. Um, I, I thought the Bulldogs ran the Swans off their legs, really. And I, my big concern about Sydney for this year was that pace factor. It's not rocket science. I think it's been an issue for a while, but I don't see how they've improved it. You know what I'm going to say on my deathbed? They're going to say any last words, and I'm going to say, I've lived 92 years. And I know one thing, that in football, if a team's down by a lot and they draw level in the last quarter and they look like they're running over the opposition, invariably the team that's led most of the game will kick the last goal or two and win. Yeah, 
Yeah, it happens more often than not. It happens. And why? Because the team that's led most of the day is defending at the end, mm. trying to hang on the lead. But once that lead's gone, yeah. or virtually gone... They have to become daring got, again. And they've got a bit of energy. You know, they've got... Their runners haven't been going hell for leather. Mm. So they've got a bit of juice left in the tank. No, it was good, good work from the doggies and uh, kicks their campaign off in uh, decent style. Uh, let's see if they can back it up. Okay, let's move on. All right, now this, uh, I know we thought Brisbane would improve, but this surely has to be the biggest. No, I did Brisbane. Okay, all right. Well, it was for me. I thought the biggest uh, upset no. of the round. No. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the game. Brisbane, 15-12-102, defeated West Coast, 8-10-58. As we set off the top, the heaviest defeat by a reigning Premier in a round one match since Richmond lost to Carlton by about 10 goals in 1981. So put that stat away in your record books. And Brisbane, super impressive, particularly after slipping five goals down at uh, quarter time, rattled off seven goals to one in the second quarter and looked a million bucks fine. They did, McCarthy? Yeah. I like this guy. I've yep. liked him. I'm sure there are a lot of people down to Long that have liked him more, but I've always, every time I've seen him, I thought, you look polished. And I've heard so many... Did he um, get injured when he was just well, he's, establishing he's, himself at Geelong? It yeah, yeah. Fell, fell over? Played with foot injuries. Yeah. And he's played, I think, 28 or 29 games in about seven years. But Chris Scott continually pumped him up as a really talented player they desperately wanted to get yes. into that side. Mind you, he did that with Shane Kirsten as well, and that didn't necessarily work out. But you can tell McCarthy's got it and it was on display during the JLT. And I'll tell you what, I know people say JLT form doesn't count for much. I'm, I'm thinking that this year perhaps it did count for a fair bit, certainly individually with him, because he looked great in the JLT, and he just carried that form on. I, I really believe that those two forwards, McCarthy and Cameron, look, it's a long uh, sort of... Their prehistory tells us it's a big ask to think they're going to play 22 games each. Mm. But boy, they complement each other because Cameron's not... He's got the speed of a small forward, but he's a, he can lead and leap. Yeah. But he does... He he's causes a lot of panic and McCarthy is just there to... Was there for the aftermath, wasn't he? Mm. I, I think that that's a really good combination. Hipwood didn't hit the scoreboard, but they he's also a gallop, galloping... He's unpredictable. There's a lot of unpredictability in their forward line. Yeah, I like this spread too. I mean, we talk about the talented kids and some of them really stood out again. Um, obviously, McLuggage. Isn't he, isn't he tidy? Uh, yes, he is. He is. Uh, Barry, uh, I've liked him for a while. Um, Matheson, I thought, was pretty handy. Um, and then, you you know, you throw in these guys weren't as good, but uh, so Hip, Hipwood, a, Witherden. Math- Matheson's a guy that has a bit of a reputation for... Playing for freeze? Yeah, oh, being antsy too, you know, and okay, he was well, sort of seen primarily looked, for he, that. He seemed more focused in one game yeah. this weekend than I've seen him previously. But He, he tends to lose that. He was really focused. But they've got that, that group of kids, or still kids, sort of coming through. Then you've got the, I guess, oh, Rain is another one I forgot there, but then you've got quite a few players of the ilk uh, probably not McCarthy, but you've got guys like, um, you know... Walker's effective. Yeah, well, Rich, Bastanak, Christensen, you know, guys that have been around the scene yeah. for a while, but you know they're capable. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty uh, potent blend, I reckon, when, they all, when they're all, when they all speaking of focus, 
I reckon sometimes you look at a side play and you think they really like their coach. And that's what I think about them. I think what's they love like Chris about, Fagan. What's not to like about a bloke who is clearly a straight shooter, yeah. honest in defeat, was, yeah. you know, pulled no punctures, mm. but had enormous amount of faith in a team that no one had faith in when he took, took over the reins. Mm. He never spoke of them as, you know, as a, a struggling team that needed this or needed that, or and he had plenty of reason to complain. They didn't have a hope. They they were being kicked off the Gabba, losing players to the go home factor. He never complained about any of that. Yeah, I yeah. like I like him a lot. No, he's a humble guy, and uh, yeah, no, they're they're absolutely playing out of their skins for him. I reckon. Uh, quick word on West Coast. That forward line, you everybody knows how important. Kennedy is, of course. Mm. Uh, Rioli becomes as important, I think. Yeah. Big late withdrawal. Yeah. And by the end, the potency that is that forward line is, it, it's too diluted, you know. So guys like Ryan aren't as devastating. Mm. They're, they're, they're cream on top, but there was not, there wasn't enough danger when the ball went down there. Uh, more credit to Brisbane too. Uh, how, I how, thought Hickey <clears throat> played all right, you know. Who? Hickey. Oh, yeah. His first game. How often, how often are you going to see West Coast kick six and a quarter and then two in the ensuing three quarters? Well, that's what I thought. That forward line was service, though. It's not like the ball wasn't down there. Mm. No, mean, no, good defence. Isn't Harris a good player, too? All right. Harris, Andrews. Andrew Harris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Harris, Andrews. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew Harris. Harris. Bloody people with, people with two surnames. The fist. Um, yeah, great result for the Lions. And... Uh, Augers well, finally, not all goes well for those people. For Jack Dyer, the league Jack Dyer. Augers well for the rest well, of the season. Oh, if don't mind. Okay, let's move on to Sunday's games. All right, uh, this was the thriller of the round at the newly named Marvel Stadium. Not two marvellous teams, unfortunately. Hey, the very but exciting game. It was a very exciting game. One by St Kilda in the finish, 13-7-85 to Gold Coast, 13-6-84. I'll go quickly and then you can take over, which is pretty much what we do anyway. Um I reckon uh, Gold Coast were the moral victors of this game. I think St Kilda won the game, but they'll oh, hang go... On, hang on, I've got my phone. I'll ring up the AFL. Should we give them the four points? No, you don't. Can you not interrupt me every two seconds? What do you mean the moral victors? Yeah, I know you don't get four points from moral victor. I'll tell you why they were the moral victors, because yeah, no one thought they were going to win a game all season. Okay. And um, because they were playing away, mm-hmm. and because they had two blokes, Ben Ainsworth and David Swallow, on one leg from oh. quarter time. Oh, dear. First of all, Ainsworth was not on one leg. He ran around fine. He kicked a goal from 50 metres out on his one leg. Yeah, and, and then did you just... see him limping after it? Oh, yeah. And David well, you reckon uh, he's putting on the limp? And David Swallow was more effective kicking two goals in the last quarter as a gammy-legged forward than he has been as a midfielder. So it's not like they lost two players during the game. They still contributed. All right, um, so was it a, a, f- a fantastic uh, win for the ages by the Saints? No, but that's not a gr- great team that St Kilda fielded. They've got a back line made up of Darragh Joyce in his third game, the Irishman, mm-hmm. Battle playing his first game in defence, and Callum Wilkie playing his first ever game of league football as a mature age recruit off the rookie list. Yeah, they've got Kilda. a lot out. Jeez, you've changed your tune from Thursday. You were you were saying they weren't going to win a game no, I'm all saying, year. I'm saying that, that, is a, that is a genuine VFL back line. Mm-hmm. So, it's not a great team. It's a, it's, and the St Kilda fans are going to have to understand that this is going to be the makeup of the side throughout the year. You know, they've got a couple of hard-working forwards in Bruce and Memory, but they're really hit-up players. Um, Lewis Pierce is the worst selection. Look, 
the fact that he was selected was the most quizzical thing of all time. There were two JLT games played. He rucked in one, mm. came off halfway through the first quarter, no stats with concussion. Rowan Marshall rucked in the second, was champion data's number one ranked player on the ground. 37 hitouts, 19 possessions, five marks, all contested, six tackles. And they went with Lewis Pearce. It was as though for 80% of the game, the St Kilda was, uh, had an extra player in the square and, and Gold Coast had a free kick. That's how dominant Jared Witts was in his ruck demolition of Lewis Pearce. Okay, uh, were we watching the bottom two sides on the ladder? Yes and no. Uh, yes, we're watching the two teams that the two teams that absolutely cannot make the finals. Mm. Absolutely, but one what happens is that there'll be a team above them that will have a bad run with injuries, a very disappointing year, maybe some off-field issues. That the arse can fall out of a team, and they can become part of the bottom two, and really give up the ghost. Like a better, better. These are the two worst teams, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Are they definitely going to finish last two? I don't know. Okay, do you think Gold Coast will win a game? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think they will too. Yeah, they're quite game. I, I just want to say the umpiring, and there were bad decisions both ways. I don't know. Who, who were the umpires? Have we got the names? Uh, I got rid of them, actually, for okay. Ryan. The, um, <laughs> such a lack of understanding of football. There were a couple of intentional... Yeah, some shockers. There were a couple of intentional out-of-bounds. Yeah. They just show they don't understand the... The intent of a footballer. It was very poor umpire. You know, the the greatest bugbear of the rules continues, I think, to be the um, sl- not sliding, yeah, I know. Of but course it is. taking the legs out. You it's know a what, shocker. You know how we know it's a bad rule, Rowan? Well, because it goes against the fundamental instincts of the game. Correct. So, first of all, when you see it, as a, as a watcher, you immediately think the player that's given the free away should get the free because yeah. he's been clattered into. Yeah. But every year since it's been implemented, or, or the year after, so it's been implemented exactly the same this year as last year, mm. but because we've had a break for a few months, when we come back and watch the game after a break, we go, this is a terrible rule. Yeah, yeah. It's the then, only rule I've then ever... Then we forget about it. You know, you know, and then we get used to it a bit. Yeah. But this is a terrible rule. Well, the biggest comment on it is that uh, the rule was introduced halfway through 2012 as a result of the Gary Rowan... Lindsay Thomas yeah. incident, we haven't had anything that's threatened to be a repeat of that. And you might say that's because of the rule. It's not because those incidents are still happening because players' instincts are to continue to do what they do. So the worst aspect of this rule, the really the worst, and it happened over the weekend, two players are standing up and the ball is somewhere between the two of them and they both go to dive on it. Yeah. The player that is second to the ball gets the free. Yeah. Because the first, they both intended to do exactly the same thing. Yeah. The guy that gets there first bowls over the second guy, mm. who's slower, and he, the second guy gets a free. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And uh, I'll tell you what was wrong this game. No, I'm just kidding. Wrong if you're an Essendon supporter. I cannot remember. I tell you what, I've seen a few round one shellackings over the years. Jeez, I can remember North in 1984 getting belted by... 150 points. Nah, it was 120-something by yeah. Carlton. Yeah. Uh, Warren Ralph kicked eight. I can yeah. remember your boys oh, yeah, losing six, three six, games yeah. by 100 points in a row. But uh, given the expectations over Essendon, this was as bad a um, first-up performance from a side that had a bit of... Um, People were fancying him a bit that I can remember. They were appalling. And GWS, um, they were terrific. 16-16, 112, defeated Essendon 5-10-40 by a massive 
72 points and 16-16. Jeez, it could have been over 100. And the writing was on the wall within five uh, five minutes into this game. Um, look, I'll, I'll people expect me to go troppo on Essendon. So I'm going to talk about GWS. You talk about Essendon. Okay. Um, I thought given... I thought they might strike... Well, they maybe they still will. But I thought they lost a, a, some really good players over summer in Shield, Lobb and Scully. And yes, I know Scully uh, didn't play last year, but he's a very valuable player for them. They had Ward out. Setterfield. They had uh, Setterfield, another one. They had Ward out. They had Kelly out. Um, they just dominated the midfield. Absolutely dominated. Stephen Canelio, if he's in one of the best half dozen midfielders in the competition, I will eat my hat. He's an absolute gun. Uh, Jeremy Cameron, great game from him up forward. Lockie Keith looked like he was done for the season. And then he um, bobs up and kicks three goals. Fantastic effort from him. Himmelberg, dangerous up forward. Uh, Essendon had nothing. And um, their midfield got smashed. But up forward, they were even worse. Absolutely zero structure, which was interesting because no Joe Danaher. But then they actually looked a lot better in the forward line in the second half of last year when Danaher was missing as well. Just the uh, their skills. They were, I've never seen less inside that fumbly. They kept missing their targets, and they looked flat. They just looked absolutely flat as attack, and you don't want to overreact to round one, but combined with their two JLT games, which both of which were poor, there are some really disturbing signs about a side a lot of people thought were capable of being top four. I'm glad you're not doing Essendon. Yeah, no, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I'm too upset. Oh, and another GWS play. You know that song, Don't Pay the Ferryman? Yeah. Oh, don't Christa pop, Burke. Don't pop the Perryman. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> he was good. He's a good punch of the ball. Didn't he that, get injured at the end? Maybe. Yeah. So, all right. I'll, during hot and not, I'll explain why I really am warming to GWS. Yep. Uh, this was a most curious thing. It was almost like the usual suspect when that one of the guys got shot at the end of the movie on the boat. I, you know what? He, I know I enjoyed that movie, but I can't remember anything about it. Just one of the guys gets shot, and just as he's dying, he turns around and he says, I just saw the most curious thing when he dies. And this was the most curious game because, look, at halftime, Essendon were two goals. And they just were not moving the ball with any... Any fizz, any daring. No. Now, this is the team last year when the style of the game came under deep, you know, deep analysis and we had rule changes and dinners at Gill's Place. Essendon was the team that we wanted everybody else to play like. Essendon's brand is exciting, maybe sometimes at their own de- to their own detriment, forward running, take on the corridor football. So at half time, when you're down by five goals... And you're a team with that in your DNA. I'm sort of looking forward to the second half to see Essendon have a shy at the stumps and have a crack. Mm. And for the first 10 minutes of that third quarter, Essendon had plenty of the ball. And it was like they were, it was like they had gone back into a shell of lack of confidence that was completely another team. What happened to them taking the game on? Why? Well, well, you said they were the team everyone wanted to play like. That was after round eight last year. In the first eight rounds, they were this team, 
And I'm saying, but they became a different team. Yeah, but it was all founded. That big improvement last year was all founded on defensive pressure and being able to win the contest and win the stoppages. It really, there was a really interesting disparity in this game. Essendon, they might not have been the finish, but at one stage, Essendon were dominating the clearances. They were up by nine, actually, at half time. They were up by nine in the clearances, and GWS had 20 more contested possessions. So, what does that tell you? What, what does that tell you? It's a really interesting oh, statistical that anomaly. Down and dirty. Well, yeah, was, basically. Was Merritt getting into it? Was Zaharakis getting into it? Was what? Dylan Shield getting his hair must? Honestly, were they at the bottom of packs? No, no. Well, that's where it fell fell, fell apart. Yeah, no. It's um, some really disturbing signs there, I think, and and uh, got a lot of soul searching to do before they take on the Saints. You know that. You know there was a bit of a pot on Dylan Shield by some people in the game kicking. And also hardball. Oh know, yeah, he didn't do anything to dispel to to knock the knockers off their knocking perch. No, but I don't think that's necessarily his role. I mean, Devin Smith disappointing today. That's oh, no, I thought Devin something Smith he'd... was one of your better players. No? I don't think they had any. I really, your man, Kyle Langford. Um, yeah, kicked a couple, but <laughs> McGrath was. Okay. Oh, desperately, desperately disappointing day for the Dons. That's enough. I can't take any more. Let's go to the final game of the round. Rightio, last game to conclude round one at Optus Stadium and the second shellacking of Sunday afternoon. Fremantle 21-15-141. Who said they can't score? Smashing North Melbourne 9-5-59 by 82 points. Five goals to Cam McCarthy, three goals to Walters, two goals to Rory Lobb making his debut for the Dockers and two goals to Tucker. Uh, who else were the stars there? Nat, Nat Five, 32 possessions, just controlled it. Brad Hill, 28 Langdon, pretty impressive performance by Ed Langdon, 25. For the Roos, Brown, two goals. McMillan had 37 touches. Pollock was okay with 27. Higgins, 26, but they didn't fire a shot. But really, this is more about Freo than North. They um, they just played a, a really exciting, attacking brand of football, and uh, that's not something you generally associate with a side coach by Ross Lyon. Yeah, I think that's old news as well. Look, he rejigged that team a couple of years ago with a lot of young players. To, Still didn't score. Well, but they were playing a brand of football that was aimed at scoring. They just didn't have the. They just couldn't score. Yeah, they didn't have the uh, personnel to bring it off. But they weren't kicking the ball backwards or not taking the game on. Hamling was fantastic today. He was. He's a. He's been a quietly, quietly very good recruit for them. Mm. This is a side that. Uh, had a tough week, you know. Hogan was supposed to be their key forward. McCarthy didn't even play in the JLT series. Mm. He might not have even played if Cox was available. So he was a fair way down the pecking order, took his opportunity. Uh, Lee Spur, actually, on your radio station, made his debut as a special comments man and oh, stated, stated the bleeding obvious late in the second quarter. Which was? He said, oh, this is after McCarthy had taken, kicked his fourth goal. He had 10 possessions, three marks, and was dominating and he goes you know what on what he's shown so far they can't drop him <laughs> you're right lee they can't he play he was a, a ripping focus for them walters is always dangerous i don't think sanderland's they would bring him back in that team anymore really oh really well why you know they've got i don't know that anyhow they don't need to bring him back let's just say that Lockie neil 
It's interesting. Two teams that had the, the highest possession winners in football didn't play with them on the weekend, Fremantle and Hawthorne. Mm. And they didn't miss a beat, did they? No, no, true. So for Fremantle, I think they're going to have a lot of fun at Optus Stadium this year and maybe take some scalps away, but definitely at home, dangerous. Yeah, well, that's the key for me. <clears throat> Jury's out for me until they win a few on the road. Yeah, and I, I said on Thursday, uh, we'll not... We'll not put North, a line through North, but they just play their football, best football, best in Hobart, best at Marvel, and I reckon the further they travel, the more iffy they are. I don't know, I seem to recall them having some decent, they had a great win in Sydney last year against the Swans, yeah. and they had a few times beat yeah, them at but the to SCG, me that's more, more that style of, you know, Hobart, Yeah, I guess Sydney. so. I just, I just, anyhow, North Melbourne, Ben Brown's a bit of a worry in a, in a, Period of fading key forwards. I don't, does he get the ball enough? Well, he might. Uh, he might really miss uh, having Jared White yes, alongside him. Excellent observation. He um, will because yeah. because White isn't was an ever present aerial danger, mm. which let Brown into many one on one, you know, one on one. And they're going to miss Magic Door too. He finished the year brilliantly last year. Yeah, I really hope he comes back. I mean, the signs are good physically, and yep. he seems to be in a reasonable place. But uh, you're right, they absolutely need him. Okay, there is our wrap of round one done and dusted. Let's talk the highs and lows of the opening round. On footyology, hot or not. All right, I'm going to kick us off, and uh, we talked about Port's kids and i tell you what, I love this guy. I, I really was impressed with him in JLT and even more impressed yesterday. He's got a bit of spunk about him, but he's certainly got electrifying pace. I think his skills are good, likes a goal. And I speak, of course, of Zach Butters, who uh, was pretty highly rated. I think he was a pretty early draft pick, wasn't he? He might have been their second draft pick after Connor Rosie. Um and I can see why. he They needed pace and they needed a bit of dash and excitement. He will provide that. Um, he's not backward in coming forward either. He uh, locked horns with one of the more experienced Melbourne players. I just can't remember who it was off the top of my head. But uh, I, I noted that and thought, oh, yeah, I like this kid's attitude. Real excitement machine. And you're going to be hearing a lot about him. He's going to become a cult figure, I think. In fact, he might have already become a cult figure, finally, because it's not often you get a player making their AFL debut and he's already had a song written about him. Who's the boy that can laugh in a storm cloud, turn a frown into a smile for free? Who's the kid with a heart full of magic? Everyone knows it's Butters. That's me. Uh, see what I did there? Go to your room, Butters. <laughs> yes. And, of course, to those uh, were saying, what the hell's going on? That is uh, Butters Stotch off uh, South Park, of course. He's the, um, the whipping boy uh, among the kids, although he's become less of a whipping boy in recent seasons. And uh, he's the slightly, um, what's the word? Uh, gormless sort of kid yeah, from wide-eyed, the, trusting. But, yeah, but he's learning. His, and, he's and, learning. He, and he gets advantage taken of him all the time. But By um, a cart man. Yes, and and co. Uh, anyway, I've got a bit of time for butter. So there you go. Theme song, and uh, they've got a Kenny too. He won't be killing Kenny because I think uh, Coach Ken Hinckley would be very happy with him. Okay, over to you. You've got a type, don't you? What do you mean? Well, Zach Fisher and Butters actually look a bit the same. Sort of Davy Jones, Page Boy type. You know, little that they look quite similar. To Maybe me. I just like the name Zach. Zach Della Rocca, front man for Rage Against the Machine. Zach. 
How much was a Zach? Ten shillings. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, that's up your alley. <laughs> don't go. Okay, okay, go on. Okay, I'll start. I'll tell you what, who is hot. That's me. Gee, it's warmed. It's been warm this weekend. Yeah, I'm sweating like a cabbage in a plastic bag. I thought you always did that. Do I? Yeah. Am I sweaty? No. Do cabbages sweat in plastic bags? They do on hot days. Why would you put one in a plastic bag? Good question. My, I'm going to start with a hot. And it's Reece Stanley. Look, he has been a patchy footballer through his time at St Kilda and Geelong. Uh, you know, a good showing and then an injury, a, a, a lesser showing. Always, confidence was always and has been his problem. Never held down a guaranteed position in the team. I think this year he actually is their first ruckman, even when Zach Smith, another Zach, mm. is fit. Reece Stanley's their man. And didn't he start the season well? I think he, that victory over Grundy was pivotal to a key, a great win for Geelong. Well done, Reese Stanley. Well, he was doing really well from last year, I think, and he got injured at a but pretty that, untimely and, and that time. that happens to him. He loses yeah. momentum. I think he started as, with his best ever game. Yeah, no, good call. Good call. All back right. To, back um, to you, Robin. It's a uh, not, for me, second up, and uh, it is Marvel Stadium, Forney. And I don't know if they... Uh, I was there last night. Marvellous. I don't know if they spent all their money in, um, you know, up, upgrading the signage and putting inflatable action heroes outside and changing the signs on the lifts in, in sexier-looking fonts or whatever and uh, completely forgot to do anything to the surface of the said arena because down on the members of the Medallion Club wing... It was like Buddy St Kilda Beach finding. It was ridiculous. Sand everywhere and divots coming up. Um, Matt Suckling rolled his ankle uh, early on in that game on Saturday night. And I, I bumped into Matt in the room. Lovely bike, Matt Suckling, too. Bumped into him in the rooms afterwards. And I said, oh, what happened? And he said, oh, just the ground just gave way. And he rolled his ankle as a result. He was able to go on and finish up the game. Um, but to, again, today in the um, St Kilda... Gold Coast game was happening again, and I think David Swallow's knee injury might have had a bit to do with that shifting surface as well, and I don't really get it. I know there's a closed roof, but we've had summer, so it's not like you've had to close the roof a lot. You've had six months to get it pretty right. I mean, we haven't had any monster truck exhibitions there or anything lately, yes, we have did. we? Oh, we did over the summer. What did we? Oh, we had crusty... We had, uh, oh, did we was, really? It was... It was filled up with sand and mountains. Well, there you go. Well, but still, I mean, six but months that was between... that was just after the end of the season. Six months between games, we had Big Bash, kind of the Big Bash uh, supporters sort of wreaking havoc after the um, the Renegades uh, win over the Stars in that final. But you got six months to get a surface right. There's not much excuse for not having it cherry ripe in round one. And um, everyone noticed it. The players noticed it. It affected their footing commentators were talking about it regularly. I think a few uh, behinds may be kicked at Marvel Stadium in between toasting the success of the Western Bulldogs Thor jumpers. I was uh, pretty, I think I'm the only person watching a African Cup of Nations qualifying game between Niger and Egypt last night. Didn't watch footy. Oh, no, this was after that. Oh, okay. On a, on a surface, in a, in, on a ground... That would have been considered appalling if you were taking your kids down to the park. And then it was unbelievably poor. And I'm not kidding. I see the game today and it was exactly the same. Really? Oh, and how embarrassing for the 
AFL who own Etihad Stadium and for the management, that their only response to this terrible surface is in, in the spirit of people who buy linoleum with timber prints on it, pretending that they've got real wooden floors, or women who paint eyebrows on their face. Oh, painting it green. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we can't fix it, so we're going to paint the holes green. It's embarrassing. Well, what about um, the fact that there's not turf outside the boundary? They've got the old artificial grass. And guys, a Brisbane player, close, did his knee as a result of that. I yeah. mean, yeah, got to no, be not, better than that. Yeah. Not good enough by any stretch. Okay, you're up. Okay, I'll go for a knot. And um, look, the rules will be much discussed over the next few weeks. And fans of some, fans of others, I'm not a fan of the new way of kicking the ball in. I think it is just disorderly, untidy, disrespectful to the history of the game, disrespectful to the goal square. So we don't need a goal square anymore, but it's it's a part of our game and it's a way to start after a kick-in. Now, if you wanted to give the players more room after they touch the ball to the boot, okay. But to just see AFL footballers walking, meandering out of the goal square like the game's not happening, not being attacked by their opponents because everybody's setting up their zones... All that's happening is the players are, 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 are meandering, not sprinting. They're meandering towards the back pocket boundary and kicking it longer down the line. And I just think it's it's disorderly and messy. And it, there are times, and the umpires don't care, where they get the ball and they run or, or jog 30 metres without bouncing it. It, it just, it's, it's a... It's. I think it's a terrible look, Rowan. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not as fussed by it. I, I suspect the there's going to be a tactical evolution with it w- that we haven't really scratched the surface of yet, which must to my surprise. But it sort of it starts at a walk. Now, the one good thing about kicking the ball to yourself, it got the player in motion. Mm. If you want to give that player more space, so effectively exactly the same thing. Mm. Move the player on the mark twenty five meters from the kick in, so that means that he can kick to himself and then get mobile. But at least it anchors in the goal square. Watch the replay. I just Mm. don't like players walking around with the ball out of the square. Well, you know, the uh, yeah, no, it's a a fair call. And handballing it. The other other big anomaly of the new rules, uh, the 666 thing, yes, it's partly to alleviate congestion. Also to lift scoring. Um, Scores, well, probably not looking at the last two games today, but prior to that, they were as low as they've been in round one for a long time. Something really interesting happened with the rules on Friday night. What was that? Uh, 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 On on um, Friday night, yeah, Colin Geelong. So four minutes to go, game's absolutely in the balance, Mm. and Matthew Richardson on the TV commentary asks a good question. He goes, does Chris Scott now put players behind the ball? Mm. The problem was it was at a throw-in, and I'm thinking to myself, well, hang on, Richo, if he wants to put players behind the ball, how does he do it? It was a really interesting... Oh, do you think Richo didn't know the rules? Yeah, but he, he was saying, should he put them behind the ball or not? But that's not an option available to the coach anymore. We, You know what we've it done? It is at a throw-in. Pardon? It is well, a throw-in. You can't send runners on to tell people to go behind the ball. You've got to wait till the goal. Yeah, well, I, that's a good thing. I'm saying, but it's interesting. He doesn't. The coach doesn't have that power as much as he did anymore. No, which is great. You know what's been brought back into football? Like really brought back into football? Mm-hmm. Something we thought we'd never see. I'm telling you, the captain coach exists again. There has mm-hmm. to be players out there that make executive decisions, coaching decisions. Weren't there always? 
Not at St Kilda. Yeah, well, I reckon Loic Hodge did a, a yeah, fair oh, well, bit of that. Yeah, Hawthorne was famous for Yeah. It. Actually, there's a good, interesting quote from Chris Scott too. He said that it left them naked and impotent. And I started thinking of all the great coaches down the years being naked and impotent. Oh, not the Gold Coast coach. <laughs> oh, no. I had to look at him today. And now, I'm, I, there's nothing wrong with this. It's his body shape. Yeah, no, he's but put I on a bit of condition. I cannot too. think of a coach in any sport. I watched a lot of soccer. I now watch NFL. I even watch the NBA. Mm. I don't think I, I've seen a coach that big. Uh, well, I'm not in a position to criticise, so I'm not. He's much bigger than you. Oh, no, he's not. Yes, he is. Well, let's find out. Let's, Stewie, if you, I know you're a big keen listener of footyology. Send me a text, Stewie, and tell me what you're weighing in at, and uh, I'll it, tell you what it, I'm it weighing really in looks at. Neither like of them are impressive. It really looks like he's due. <laughs> Very good. All right, last one. Uh, I'm going with the hot again. Well, we talked about um, how Tom Mitchell's injury for the Hawks could be absolutely catastrophic, and it may still prove to be the case, but uh, there was no doubt that in his absence, not just one, but several guys were going to have to step up, and we saw Jager O'Meara. We expect it from him, but I love the poise and the effort and pretty much everything about James Warple. He's only played a dozen games now. He came into their side sort of halfway through last year. He was definitely going to be one of the guys that had to step up, which is a comment on how good he was in that half a year anyway. But he was fantastic against the Crows. I thought he was clearly best man on the ground, ended up with high 20s disposals, kicked a couple of important goals. Um and he's got that, he's, again, another old head on young shoulders, I reckon. He's just got a presence about him. He's pretty explosive. Yeah. That's what he's, you know, he, who does he remind you of? Um, Are you remind, there, there's a few of those sort of. You know who I thought of? Break. I just, it was totally off the top of my head. I, Merv Nagel. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, that that's the sort of player he is. Maybe Merv was a bit, bit more balanced, a bit. Smooth, a bit better laterally. Yeah, but, but he had that bustling sort of quality yeah, about him. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just really like, like the way he plays, and he reminds me a bit of, like a Zorko, like a, even a Barwick. Do you remember Dougie Barwick? Yeah. But he really does. He's strong, and he hits the afterburners when he gets it. He's a good player. All right, finishes off. Okay, I, I, I just love GWS's makeup now. Now this is counterintuitive, because. People would think if you've got a squad with over 20 players who are top 10 draft selections, that's ideal. But it's not. You need a team on the field made up of talented top teners, but you need guys at their second club. Guys Journeyman. Yeah, guys who, who know other systems, who can bring in other intelligences. Guys resurrected who you never thought would play again, like Lockie Keefe, mm. because their appreciation of what they get rubs off on <clears throat> players for whom it comes easy. Mm. And then the penny drops with those players, like a Canilio, a Kelly, etc. that the football journey isn't easy for everyone. That's actually a really good point, because we always talk about lists in terms of the purely physical qualities, but there's a, uh, a more holistic approach you have to take towards list building, isn't it, that takes in different types? You have to. You have, first of all, players from other clubs bring other um, philosophies and experiences, and you then have a, a larger menu to choose from. And remember, these are kids that GWS drafted that came, that never played any other senior football anywhere. Mm. They only knew one way, but now they're learning other ways. Mm. 
and you have to play with players who've who've had to overcome injuries and and you know and public humiliation like Keith, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to, to appreciate how short a time you have in the game and how you cherish it and make the most of it. And now they have that mix, and now they are a real team. Yep, no, well said. Uh, GWS certainly hot. We are hot, literally, and it's going to get a lot hotter now. On Footyology, the rant all right, Fonny, been looking forward to this all summer. Um, who's going to go first tonight? I'll go first. I just made an executive Go, decision. go, go. Uh, we're going to try and keep them short and sweet and punchy and all that stuff. But uh, This is our first sort of audio mm. ones, really. We- yeah. Yep. Yeah, could uh, who's that going to test more, you think, you or I? No, no, we... we- I think we've both got our styles. We could do, we could do them underwater. Okay, well, you count me in. Three, two, I'm looking forward to the 2019 Rocco rant. Rocco? <laughs> I'll do it again. The Rocco rant. I'm pissed off with footy tipping, Finey. One round gone and I'm shot to ribbons already. Three. Bloody three. I got three. And you know what that means? It means I like saying three. But it means I'm going to have to go for some roughies over the next couple of weeks. Of course, I'll go for the wrong ones and slip even further behind. All the while, that tipping comp I'm in will have a runaway leader. And we all know who it'll be. Yep, that guy in IT who arrived in the country only a couple of years ago, hasn't got a team, hasn't got a clue, and he put all his tips in for the season in February before heading back home for six months. It's not fair. This footy season goes for six months, and one of the biggest pleasures is agonising over who you're going to pick to win every week. And for me, it's already gone. It's kaput. It's done and dusted. Remember the good old days of tipping Finey? You only had six games to worry about, and at least four of them you could pick three weeks out from when they were played. You were disappointed if you didn't pick the card every week. I don't reckon I've picked the card since before Gold Coast and GWS came into the competition, and that's true. There's only one solution, Finey. I'm calling for a revamp on AFL tipping conditions. Here's how it's going to work. You don't get to even enter a tipping competition anymore unless you can rattle off every premiership winner and who they beat in the grand final for at least the last 30 years. You can't tip if you haven't had the roof of your mouth burned by the hot jam oozing out of a donut from a shitty little caravan outside an AFL venue. And you can't be in it if you can't sing at least one verse of the Richmond theme song beyond the yellow and black bit everyone yells out at the top of their voices. They're the sorts of credentials you need to enter my tipping comp. That way, when you end up with a score as bad as I've got this weekend and have all your dreams of lording it over everyone else in the office dashed once again, you can at least take solace from the fact you weren't the only person who reckons they know a thing or two about the game, giving every bloody indication to the contrary. Oh, Rowan. I'm on six. So... You know your football. Which was the one of the 12 VFL clubs mm. that you didn't have to go out of the ground to get a donut. Had the donut van permanently on the inside. Inside? Yeah. Just when you came in to one of the entrances, it was a beautiful silver silver sort of bus or a... a Western Oval? No. At Cadinia Park. Oh, okay. The donuts were on the inside. Yeah, okay. Okay. The country folk did things differently. A lot of people who went to Cadinia Park were on the inside too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cent- are you talking about a, a particular cent- high possession winning <laughs> sentiment? Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm going to count you in. Three, two, 
one rant. It's dead. The spearhead dead died. No longer exists. I don't know whether everybody understands this, but back in the day, when you watched the footy results on or the sports on TV, the footy results came on and they would show the scores tell you who won the games, the ladder, and then the goal-kicking ladder. Mm. I don't think they show the goal-kicking ladder anymore. It's it, it, it's so embarrassingly low. It takes us back to the early days when, you know, the likes of um, Moriarty and Rankin were topping the goal-kicking in the VFL with a masterly season's tally of 14. Oh, those were the bad old days, and we are rapidly returning to them We've got a couple of McCarthy's, I think, at the top of the table at the moment. You could have got pretty good odds for that, I would have thought. Uh, who are the big spearheads in the modern game? I mean, you kick the ball down to the Collingwood forward line, for example. It used to be McKenna. I mean, BT was up there. They they had some great players, didn't they? Kick 100 goals. They had rocker. Now you kick the ball up there, there's a basketballer and a defender from Port Melbourne called Mahochek. I mean, there's just nobody to kick the ball to anymore. Buddy's playing on the wing, um, so he doesn't really count anymore. Essendon's forward line, well, again, I remember growing up watching the bespectacled Jeff Blethen get on his horse, or get attacked by a horse, after he kicked his 100th goal at Windy Hill. The horse knocked his glasses off. No danger of anybody getting their glasses knocked off at Windy Hill this year. I reckon their leading goal kicker will be rushed with 14 behinds. There's just nobody to get excited about. Where are the big goal kickers? Tom Hawkins kicked his 500th on the weekend. He's expecting to kick his 510th on the opening round of next year. Sadly, what was once the highlight of many football followers' weekend, going from one end of ground to the other, to follow your favourite goal kicker, no longer is part of the game. The bag no longer exists. Well, you can't say you kicked a bag of three. Is it a purse of three? Maybe it's a, 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 a pocket full or a pillbox. That's it. What a great game by Langford of Essendon. He kicked a pillbox, two goals this afternoon. Valet the spearhead. Yes, well, it's a it's an early call after one round, but uh, well, just who are they? Where are they going to come? And who from? are they? Yeah, no, that's a fair point. If, if, a you're, fair point. if you're going to follow Ben Brown from one end to the other, mm. well, I or could, Jack Rewalt, they, could, they're the top goal kickers. I could take you back to the early rounds of 1978 when Wayne Primer of Essendon fame kicked yeah. three bags of seven in the first five games. I think he might have been on top of the goal kick. Oh, remember the remember the couple of electric starts Teasdale had. Yes, as a full uh, 77. I think he yeah, kicked nine, nine and ten, eight. Nine and ten. Yeah, maybe. yeah. one of those bags but, was against Morton. But, you, know, you know, it was electric. Yeah. Well, John Georgiades. He kicked seven on debut. I think he kicked nine, didn't he? Or eight and seven. Do you know what he did in his second game? He uh, kicked Trevor Barker in the head at Waverley. In his second game? Well, yeah. he kicked a bag in his second too, didn't he? Yeah, he might have. They, but they were just, it was exciting, wasn't it? It was. It was. I no. miss those days. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, the ball goes up into the forward line. And remember, it used to be Kappa, Dunstall, Lockett. Do you know what it is now? Everybody pick up, you know, it, it's systems. Yeah, yeah. Ball into the forward line. Don't take a mark. Yeah. Bring it to the base of the pack. Yes. It's well, a pity. It's it, a pity. Here's two old men getting on their high horse again. Uh, that's enough for this week, horse I long think. Wire. Uh, very good. Very good. Uh, a man called Horse. Um, thanks to your company. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope your team won. 
Uh, I know Finey's did and mine didn't. Hopefully that'll be well, rectified in round two. One rect- of them has rect- to. That's right. <laughs> well, maybe they'll have a draw. Um, all right. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. So if you're just getting into listening to us, uh, the drill is we do a preview podcast on Thursdays and a review podcast on Sunday evenings or after the final game of the said round. Tell all your friends about it. Don't forget to visit footyology.com.au for all the latest news and views on the game. And just, I just want to say, a bit of a tough week this week because coming up, because much-loved family pet at the fine family, 14 and a half years old, Sally will pass away in a couple of days. Oh, no, no. We're, we're saying our goodbyes, giving her treats. Mm, sorry to hear that. Oh, it's all right. She's a Collingwood supporter. Oh, no, I'm not sorry to no, hear no, that. No, no, it's, it's, you know what? She's had a great life. And I I've been telling, pets. I've been telling my kids all day, it's a kindness to do it. It is a kindness to do it with the family around and say goodbye. You know, she can't walk. It's, it's over. So, a bit of a sad week. Footy will bring the spinals back to our faces. All the best, Sally, and uh, to the young, fine children. They're not coping well. Uh, no, I don't blame them at all. And I've been oh, quite serious. Always upbeat to finish the program. Yeah, with no, a, you did really well with there. The dead yeah, no, it's great. It's great. <laughs> all right, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. And uh, let's go out with a little bit of music.